Luke chapter 2. Today we are going to be discussing uh, the shepherd's candle uh, and the word joy. Shepherd's candle and the word joy. So I'm going to read to you Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. We'll also be talking about verses 15 through 20 today, but I'm only going to read verses 8 through 12 right now. Here's what the Word of God says. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. All right, so show of hands, okay? Uh, show of hands, how many of you are fully ready for Christmas Day? Like, you're, you're ready. Show of hands. Like, you've got the tree up, the lights on the tree, the lights on the house, um, everything's decorated. Your shopping's all done? Tell them the truth. Okay, you people terrify us. I just, just want you to know that. Um, you all must be the type A folks. You are just constantly dominating life, and it makes us angry, right? The tenacity in which you dominate things just scares us. Um, okay, next group, show of hands. How many of you are just like partly done? Like you've got the tree up, but you still got some shopping to do. Okay, you are the normal people in the room, just the average folks, right? You can relax. Now, how many of you are just going to be running around like a chicken with your head cut off this week because you have absolutely nothing done? Anybody? Okay, so here we have our lazy folks, our procrastinators, right? Um, you, it, it was hard for you to get to church today, wasn't it? Right? Because you have some stuff to do and you're stressed, okay? Um, no, I'm glad that you here. We promised to commit for you, those in that last group. Um, but when we started this Advent series a couple weeks ago, I asked us to get amped up for Christmas. Do you remember that? I was talking to myself as much as I was talking uh, to you, but that, not that we would get amped up for the commercialization of Christmas, you know, the movies, the ads, the sales, but rather we get amped up for the reality that Christ has come and is coming again, that my hope and my prayer uh, is that on December 26th, we don't suffer what sociologists call the Christmas blues. You ever heard of that? It's an actual thing that sociologists have come up with. It's the idea that during the Christmas season, our hearts are filled, filled with joy and anticipation for Christmas Day, that we've got the lights on the Christmas tree so our houses are brighter, right, and they're happier. But we know that a day is coming soon where um, we will receive gifts from everyone. We've got stockings on over the fire pit. But then on December 26, everything disappears. The lights get turned off. The stockings come down. There are no more gifts to receive. Life just goes back to normal. And for most of us, normal life can be rather difficult. And so if we aren't careful, we can amp ourselves up for something that doesn't end up giving us lasting joy. And so my prayer is that as we look at the coming of Christ and the return of Christ as the source of our joy, because in his advent, we do have something that is lasting. Where on December 26th, we don't have to succumb to the disappointment that our normal lives can bring, but rather we can have joy that does not fade. It's lasting. So in this series, we are turning our eyes towards something that does not change with the season 
are the time. We're looking backwards at the promises of God that he promised that a Messiah is coming to bring salvation and joy to our souls. And we're looking backwards and marveling that God has become a baby, Emmanuel, God with us, that he lived a perfect life. He put on flesh and he died as a ransom for many. And that fulfilled promise gives us confidence that one day he will fulfill another promise, right? His promise to create a new heaven and a new earth, that one day he is returning to wipe away all of our tears and renew all things, that we will dwell with him for eternity. But in the meantime, there will be a point, or maybe for some of you it's already happened, there will be a point at the end of the season, maybe even during, where you will be reminded that this world is broken, that something isn't right. You might be reminded of that person that passed away, maybe this year or years ago. You might be reminded that 2023 has not quite gone the way that you hoped that it would. You might be reminded that new stuff is awesome for a moment, but eventually you're going to grow to be bored with it. Within weeks, maybe even days, your heart will desire some other thing, but the things of this world always fade. So in the next week, before December 25th, we're going to focus our eyes on the thing that does not fade. So go to verse 10. Let me read it again. It says, And the angel said to them, to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great what? Joy that will be for all the people. So in the midst of a field, the glory of God appears. And as you would expect, if this happened to you, this terrifies the shepherds. I've made this joke before, but I've always wondered if the angels have a handbook of some kind that God has given to them. And it says, step one, tell them, do not be afraid because you're scary, angels. Um, And so let's consider the context here. All of history has been waiting for this moment. All of the Old Testament points to a day when the Messiah will come. The prophets spoke about it over and over and over, and the people of God have been holding onto a promise from God that someone is coming. And at this point, God has been silent for 400 years. It's been crickets. No prophets, no messengers, nothing. And what is so scandalous about this moment is that God chooses to announce the coming the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah to shepherds. If you were making up a story that you wanted to be believed believed by others, the last character that you would put in this story is a shepherd that is telling a testimony about the coming Christ. Now, the Bible has been given language that redeems the idea of a shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. Right? All throughout the Bible, we've got redeeming language about a shepherd. Even the church is called to have shepherds, right? This redeeming idea about leading the flock of God. But the reality is, during this time, the shepherd was insignificant. They were the lowest of the low. They weren't allowed to hold public office. They weren't even allowed to testify in court because their testimony was seen as unreliable. They were unwanted, and they were alienated. But here in this moment, the greatest announcement that has ever come did not come to the elite, it did not come to the religious, it came to the shepherd, to the outsider. I mean, think about it this way. The message of the gospel came first to those who had no access to it. The shepherd had been shut out of society. I mean, do you think anyone was trying to share the hope of God with them? No. They had no access to God. They had no access to the temple, but yet 
God came to them. And he said, I bring you great good news of great joy. And the text says, the glory of God shone around them. The best way that I found to understand this moment, that, that word glory in this context, is think about the word weight. That the glory of God, when it falls on you, it is heavier than all other things. And when the glory of God shows up, it displaces all that was, if that makes sense. Heaviness, weighty, right? And so if you can picture yourself, picture yourself in this field with these shepherds, what we know about from history and scholars during this time is that in these fields, these shepherds would take stones and they would create a pen. And in this enclosure of stones, there would be one opening and the shepherd would lay over that opening for two reasons. One, so that no sheep got out. If they wanted to get out, they had to go through the shepherd. And two, so no predators got in. So you can imagine the heightened awareness that you had to have if you were a shepherd. Some of you moms probably would have made great shepherds, to be honest, right? Uh, I remember my mom would wake up if I wiggled my toes too loudly. She'd come in and she'd say, you say something? And I'd say, no, I just moved my foot, mom. Like, what are you, what are you doing? So some of you moms, you light sleepers, would probably make great shepherds. Can't be a heavy sleeper if you're a shepherd. So imagine sleeping over this little entrance, and then boom, the weight, the heaviest thing you've ever felt falls on you. How did the shepherds respond? They were, obviously, they were afraid. When the weight of God's glory falls on them, they respond in fear, right? And this is what we talked about last week, that when people in the Bible encounter, when they encounter God, it illuminates just how small we are compared to God, that everyone thinks they're a good person and that they have life figured out until the weight of God's glory falls on us. And for every person in the world, life is focused on self until something heavier pushes self out of the way and it displaces it and it replaces it with something else, that when God's glory falls on us, it turns our eyes to something that is better than even us something that is more beautiful, something that is more wondrous, that the true weight of God's glory moves us out of the way, and our lives are forever transformed. The glory of God surrounds these shepherds, and it exposes them. It terrifies them. But here's here's what I want to focus on that we learn from this text. When the glory of God appears before us, it's not just to make us scared. It's not just to terrify us. God's aim is not to scare us into worship, but rather God's intention in revealing himself is to replace that fear with something better, something that brings joy in his presence. I mean, read it. It says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And this is what God does. God in his glory displaces reality as we know it. Who we are is exposed before a majestic weight and the weight of his glory brings us fear because who can stand before the Lord? And God's intention is to move us from a place of fear into a place of joy. Now here's the issue with that. I can imagine that even in a room as small as this that there are multiple groups of people in here. Right? And depending on which group you belong to, your response to what I just said might be different. Like, when I say God's intention is to move us from a place of fear into a place of joy, some of you respond to that in your heads with agreement. Like, yeah, absolutely. Some of you respond with confusion. 
I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. Some of you might even respond with anger or disgust. So I want to try something here. Trust in the Holy Spirit with this. I'm going to say that statement again, and I want you to make notes of the first thought that comes into your mind, okay? And keep in mind the definition, just the literal definition of joy, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. So here's the statement, and I want you to hear it, and then keep note of what you think, your first response, knee-jerk reaction. God's intention is for you to have joy. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Now, I would not dare to guess the multitude of answers that just occurred in this room, but I want to take a stab at a few, okay? I can imagine that there are some of of you in here, when you hear the phrase, God's intention is for you to have joy, that you responded with something like, yeah, right, or I wish. Joy is such a far-off afterthought for you that it sounds like a completely different language. You're so so disconnected from it. You have no idea that it's even obtainable for you. First, if that's you, if you're in that group, let me say to you, I am so sorry. The pain, the trauma, the hurt that you feel. I don't know it. No one in this room is going to know it like you do. I can't imagine. Life is really hard sometimes. It can really beat us up. That feeling of no hope, where it doesn't matter what anybody else says, it doesn't matter what anyone else does, for you, joy just isn't in the cards. Because you know, you, you know, you know that as soon as you allow yourself to have hope, as soon as you allow yourself to have a little bit of joy, boom, something else happens, right? Been there? Another person dies. Someone else lets you down. Something happens, and so it's just easier, right? It's just, it's just easier for you to disconnect to just survive. Survive and wait. Wait for the next thing to happen. Whatever happens, happens. And whatever it is, it's not going to be good. I've been there. Several of you have. I know that feeling. Had it when my parents got divorced. Had it when my mom died. Had it when my dad took his own life. You feel like a punching bag. One thing after another. People try to cheer you up, right? But after a while, it gets exhausting, doesn't it? Either you end up comforting them for not knowing what to say to you, and you feel bad because you make them sad, and so you just pretend to be happy so that, so that they're okay. You ever done that? Yeah, I've yeah, been there. Or you get annoyed because they think you should just have joy in the Lord. Like, God has a purpose in this. You just got to have faith. And you're like, yeah, I do. Like, I believe that. But I just want to be sad for a second, right? <laughs> like, let me be sad. And at the end of the day, it's just honestly, it's just easier for you to disconnect, to remove yourself from people, to remove yourself from the Lord, to remove yourself from your church. And so you surrender to the idea that joy just isn't in the cards for you. Listen, no one in this room can ever understand the pain that you feel like you do. The church should and can mourn with you and sit with you in that sadness. But here's what I pray that you hear and you receive from the Lord in this moment. Joy is absolutely available to you. Here's what the scriptures have to say to you. I don't know if you you caught it. Here's what the scriptures have to say to you. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great what? Say it with me. Good news of great 
that will be for all the people, even you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now also in this group that would say joy is just not in the cards for me, it's not only those who have suffered from much hurt, pain, and trauma, but also those of you in here who you are enslaved by sin. You don't want it, but you can't escape it, whatever it is. Or you have sinned so egregiously in the past that you think, I had my shot and I blew it. You ever felt like that? Like just being here is weird for you. You feel uneasy. You feel like you don't belong. Like people in your life are still mad at you for what you've done. Or maybe you think, if other people knew the thoughts in my head, the things that I do, or the things that I've done, the things that I hide, then then they wouldn't want me here. Like the only reason you think, the only reason we allow you to be here is because we don't know what you think or what you do or what you've done. So you continue to hide in the shadows and just hope that we don't see your shame, that that just you feel it in in your bones and you're so scared that you're going to be seen. So you put a smile on and you mask that shame and that embarrassment. But joy, nah, you messed that up a long time ago. Here's what the scriptures have to say to you. Can you guess what it is? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. Lord, come out of the shadows. You bring that shame. You bring that embarrassment. You come out of the darkness and you feel the weight of his glory and you watch it displace the shame that you feel and replace it with joy. Romans 5, 6 for you. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the godly. Is that what it says? For the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I'm willing to bet that there's another group in here that when you hear God's intention for you to have joy, that you responded with something like, cool, neat, oh, good for them. You're pretty indifferent about it, right? Like your mind is occupied and on other things. Like you're here because, well, it could just be what you do in the South. You go to church. Maybe you're here because your spouse made you come, or maybe you're here because your parents made you come, or maybe you're here because you want friends. Going to church is just what you do, but your mind is occupied elsewhere. This is just like listening to me talk about all this. It's just something you got to get through, right? Um, And when it comes down to it, Jesus isn't really, if you're honest, Jesus really isn't all that interesting. You're relatively happy in life, right? Like your life's pretty good. Like your marriage is fine if you're married. If you have kids, your your kids are great. If you have friends, you've got good friends. Um, You've got a good job, good family. You've got some hobbies that you enjoy. Like life isn't all that bad. So when it comes to the things of Jesus, you're pretty comfortable with what you've got. Church is just something that happens in our world. The Bible is something that exists, and I have one. I pick it up every now and then. And so maybe your assumption is, when I begin to talk about joy, that really I'm talking to the people in that first group, not to you. The people that are hurting, or they're just sinners. But you, you're a good person, and you're pretty happy. So this message is, it's really for them, not you. Here's a question I've been thinking about that I think is interesting to ponder. 
Do you think that non-Christians, so people who don't claim to love Jesus, people who don't read their Bible, people who don't claim anything about faith, do you think that non-Christians can live relatively happy lives? Yeah, of course they can. Like, you cannot love Jesus and you can live a pretty good life. Like, you can have a great marriage. Some of the best marriages I've seen have been marriages with two people who don't love Jesus. They're they're just good people and they're relatively happy. Like, they've got hobbies that make them happy. They can root for their favorite sports teams. They can eat really good food. They have access to the same food that you have. They can go to Sol de Jalisco, right? I mean, they, they have all the same things. But here's the thing that they don't understand, and I'm willing to bet it's the same thing that you don't understand. If life is a scale of 1 to 10, then the max pleasure that they can have in this life, let's just say it, is a 7. They can enjoy the gifts of God, the family, the hobbies, the food, but at the end of the day, their experience of joy is limited because at no point have they felt the weight of God's glory, a weight that is so heavy that it displaces all that makes us, us, and it replaces everything with something that is better. Like, you might be okay with being apathetic about Christ, but at the end of the day, you are wasting your life because you are not designed to find ultimate joy in hobbies. You are not designed to find ultimate joy in money, in your sports team. You weren't even designed to find ultimate joy in your family. Did you know that? You were designed intentionally to find ultimate joy in your creator, in Christ. And it's time, if that's you in this group, for you to move from consumer to participant. From consumer to participant. Because you're treating church and faith and Jesus as something that you can purchase. Something that you can get access to when you want something. But Jesus' call on our lives is much deeper and much better than that. Here's what the scriptures have to say to you. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great what? Joy. He's so much better than you in your apathy have ever dared to imagine. And finally, I know for a fact that there is a group of people in here where you, the joy of Christ just oozes out of you. You know someone like that? I can name several of you in this room. Like when you talk about Jesus, you just explode with energy, right? Like this, there's this happiness that for some of us, it's a little weird, okay? Um, like to the point where we begin to question your sanity. When I was a teenager, there was a woman that um, I loved. I loved her. Uh, her name was Kathy Stanfield, okay, uh, back in Quero. Uh, her and her daughter, um, Jamie, Jamie was my youth minister in, in high school when I first started going to church. And Kathy was just an amazing woman. She passed away a few years ago. Um, every time I saw her, she made me feel like I was the most important person in her life. Uh, and she did that with everybody. And she talked about Jesus as if he was in the room with us, like as if she physically knew him. And I used to hate it. <laughs> you can laugh at that. Um, it used to drive me crazy. Um, and, I, and I would watch her over the years, and her life wasn't all that easy. Um, and every time I thought, this is what breaks her. This is where we see the real Kathy. 
And every time she just pointed back to Jesus until the day she died. And so listen, for those of you in the room, you read Luke 2, and you're just like, yes, I want more of this. When we talk to you, I mean, Christ just comes out, and there's no denying it, and your heart is constantly overflowing with joy to the point where you wonder, like, am I making others feel uncomfortable because <laughs> I love Jesus too much? I beg you, never change. People like me need people like you. The loudness of your joy in Christ is necessary for us to see what's possible for us. And you're a gift from God to the church. And so here's your scripture. You ready? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. It was louder that time. Did you notice that? That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. For those of you in that group, thank you for pushing us to see Jesus more clearly. We're so thankful for you. And for everyone in the room, there is good news for all of us. Good news that does bring about great joy that God has come from perfect heaven to broken earth to redeem and to restore. Now, in the text, we're going to skip verses 13 and 14. We're going to talk about those two verses next week. So go down to verse 15. Let me read verses 15 through 20, and then we'll close. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now, I'm not going to go into too much in 1819, but I just want you to notice here, shepherds, outcasts, alienated, everyone's questioning, what do the shepherds have to say to Mary? But Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I just want to point that out. No one... God can use anyone for his purposes. And he uses the shepherds here. Verse 20, though. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it, as it had been told to them. Okay, what I love about the shepherds here is at no point do they stop to analyze the situation. Okay? They don't sit down and they, they don't begin to pick apart all that the angel told them. They don't question if it really was an angel. They, they don't question if the angel was really sent from the Lord. They don't question if what the angel said was true. The angels say, hey, Christ the Messiah has been born today. He's in the city in Bethlehem. Uh, and they say, well, let's go see it. The Lord reveals, so they go see. I love that. I, I think sometimes I live with this fear that when I'm 50, 60, 70, that my faith is going to have these rough edges around it. You know what I'm talking about? That, yeah, on one hand, like, my faith is genuine, I follow the Lord. But on the other, life beats me down, and I begin to question what the Lord reveals. And what I love about the shepherds is that there's no, there's no rough edges here. Like, life is hard for them, yet there's no rough edges. They believe what they see and they hear. They aren't skeptical about it. They aren't ashamed about it. They don't respond by saying, well, I'm sure I'm just seeing things. Like, Joe, what do you think? I, I think I saw something. Maybe it was a ghost. I mean, they, the Lord reveals, and they go. The Lord says it, so they go see it without question. I pray that I'm like that, 
that we're like that. Like when we read the word, when I read about what God has said about himself, what God has said about me, what God says about the world, I don't question it. I don't analyze it. I believe it. And then I go see it. Does that make sense? Like where when I pray and I feel like God's like, okay, you need to go talk to this person. You need to pray for this person. You need to do this. You need to move into this space where I don't go, I don't know. Like, God, are you sure? Like, let me go read 30 other scriptures until I find something that makes this untrue. I don't analyze it. I'm not skeptic, skeptic about it. I don't have a fear that I'm going to be rejected. I want to be the kind of person that says, okay, the Lord said it, so let's go see it. The Lord says in 1 John, beloved, loved ones, you've been loved by God. He says, beloved, love one another as I have loved you. And I don't want to go, I don't know, God, they're pretty annoying. I want to say, the Lord said it. Let's go see it. Loved one, love one another. Okay, the Lord said it. Now let's go see it. Let's go see that it's true. Matthew 13, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. And I want to say, I don't know, I really want that like new phone. I want to say, okay, the Lord said it. Let's go see it. He says, I'm going to get joy. If I go and do this, the Lord said it, let's go see it. Or Isaiah 59, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. Like, I want to respond by saying, okay, the Lord said it, let's go see it. The Lord says his arms aren't too short that he cannot save. He said that. His ears aren't so dull that he cannot hear. So let's go proclaim the gospel to the city. Let's go proclaim the gospel to the the, to the unreached, the people who have the shepherds, they have no access to the gospel. The Lord said it, let's go see it. His arms of salvation can reach them. I want to be like the shepherds, the Lord reveals, so I go see. I don't want my faith to have these rough edges, you know what I'm talking about? Where I just question and I analyze. At the end of the day, I just don't do it. And so I never go see it. Therefore, I never believe it. Once you see, you believe, and you've got to believe first in order to go see that make sense? Okay. So the shepherds are in the middle of nowhere. The weight of God's glory falls on them. God tells them, I have a message for you that is for your joy. The Messiah has come. He's in a manger in Bethlehem. And now they have the long walk to the city of David. Actually, we don't know if it was long. We don't know if it was short or long. We absolutely know nothing about this walk. But we know that they have to go find a stable. They got to go out of their comfort zone into the city. They got to find a stable. They got to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. We don't know how long the journey was. We don't know if it was easy or difficult. We have no idea, but let's think about this. These shepherds have to leave their sheep to go see Jesus. They got to risk everything in order to go see this little baby. Sheep could have run off. Predators could have come in. All sorts of things could have gone wrong for these shepherds. But here's what I want us to enter into our singing in into, into this week of Christmas in a minute. Joy in Christ, it is not this far off idea. This joy is possible even in the normal day-to-day ups and downs of life. And it's possible because when you step out in faith and trust that what the Lord has revealed is true, you will find a reward in that place. Not a reward of money or worldly pleasure. He rewards you with what? Seeing. Seeing. The shepherd's journey, we don't know how far. The Lord says it, so they go see it. And what is their reward? They got to see the Messiah in the flesh. And then look at verse 20. 
the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds returned to what? Shepherding. Shepherding. They they returned to their normal day-to-day life. Nothing has changed in their social standing, by the way. They're still an outcast. They're still poor. They still aren't allowed to hold public office. They still aren't allowed to testify in court. Their circumstances remain the same. They still have to sleep on, on top of this opening of the pen so the sheep can't get out, so the predators can't come in. And yet, their normal life has changed, right? They return glorifying and praising God. Here's what an encounter with the glory of God does in our day-to-day lives. The glory of God implants gratitude in our hearts that exposes who we are and who our God is. And it exposes that reality that in his name, in his presence, joy is tethered to us from the eternal. And nothing can cut that cord. Circumstances, your circumstances may change, they may not change. But at the end of the day, honestly, it doesn't really matter. Because if you are tethered to the eternal, joy is available to you. Right? An encounter with the glorious God is better than anything in this world. And his joy is lasting. And so when you walk into this week, just think, I'm tethered. I'm tethered. Lord said it, let's go see it. Lord said it, let's go see it. Joy is available to you in his name. And so we sing with that in mind, and we go into this week believing he said it. Let's go see it.